in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, beginning with verse 1, the Apostle Paul speaking concerning the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Amen. Good to see each and every one of you this morning. Pray that you're blessed. 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, then of the twelve. After that He was seen above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believe. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith, say your faith, is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We believe it, God, today. We thank you for it. We acknowledge it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. As the scripture shows us here in the, in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the Bible tells us that it is the central thing that of our faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that without the resurrection of Jesus, our preaching is vain. Everything that we're doing here this morning is vain, is a waste of time. And we are of all men most miserable. The resurrection of Jesus then becomes the very central 
uh, thing of our faith. Without it, we have no faith. Without it, we have no hope if there is no resurrection uh, from the dead. It is the central doctrine of what we believe, that Jesus Christ got up from the dead. Amen. And as a result of that, the Bible is very clear in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians that because Jesus is risen from the dead, there will be other people also that will rise from the dead. And that is the believers that are in Jesus Christ will also rise from the dead. Therefore, the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead tells us that there will be some people that will live eternally with Jesus Christ. Say, eternal life. Eternal life. Amen. Now, let's go into the Word of the Lord and let's look in the Old Testament and see what the prophets said about this uh, resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, when He was alive, said that He would suffer and die and that He would rise again the third day. And every time He made a statement about His death, He always made a statement about His resurrection. He never said that He was going to die without saying that He would rise from the dead. And so let's go into the Old Testament in Psalm 118, and we will see some scriptures here that prophesy of these events. So I'll give you a moment just to turn over there in Psalm 118. Amen. Beginning with verse 22. Psalm 118, verse 22. Okay. Amen. All right. In that world, um, let me give you a little background on who believed in a resurrection of the body and who did not. The Roman culture, the Greco-Roman culture of that day, did not believe in the resurrection of a body. They did believe, many of them believed in the immortality of the soul. And what that is simply is that they believed that somehow, and I don't understand it, but they believed that the soul or the spirit of man would be resurrected or renewed. Don't understand that. Uh, but that's what they believed. But they did not believe, the Greco-Roman culture, in a resurrection of the body. They believed that when a person died, their body just perished. It, it just you know, disintegrated. Uh, they did not believe in a resurrected body, but a resurrected soul. I don't understand that. But the Jewish people believed in the resurrection of the body. They believed that the body physically would be brought up out of the grave and that the body itself would be renewed or resurrected. And I'll get into some history and I'll show that to you. I'll read that to you uh, from history's point of view. But, and I'll do that now. In the Maccabees, let me go there and show you this historical background uh, from the Jewish mindset. They believed in the body parts being made new. Now, uh, some of you are familiar with Maccabees. Maccabees is not a part of the Scripture. We'll get into that in just a moment. But Maccabees is a historical writing that dealt with the time called the Maccabean Wars. And this was when the Jews were at war with the Syrians, the Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a type of the Antichrist, uh, came to try to wipe out the Jewish faith completely. Okay, And uh, so Judas Maccabeus, the Maccabees, rose up to go to war against Antiochus Epiphanes, who was trying to destroy the Jewish faith. Now, great persecution broke out during that Maccabean War. And uh, I'll read a little bit about that. Uh, 
This is coming out of 2 Maccabees chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Now notice, it says, It happened also that seven brothers and their mother were arrested and were being compelled by the king under torture with whips and thongs to partake of unlawful swine's flesh. Now obviously, uh, based on the word of the Lord, that was an unclean animal, and so the Jewish people refused to eat uh, pig's meat. And so Antiochus Epiphanes, the Bible, or not the Bible, but this history tells us, um, again, verse 1 of chapter 7, 2 Maccabees, it happened also that seven brothers and their mother were arrested and were being compelled by the king under torture with whips and thongs to partake of unlawful swine's flesh. One of them acting as their spokesman said, What do you intend to ask and learn from us? For we are ready to die rather than transgress the laws of our ancestors. The king fell into rage and, and great gave orders to have pans and cauldrons heated. These were heated immediately and he communicated that the tongue of their spokesman be cut out and that they scalp him and cut off his hands and feet while the rest of the brothers and the mother looked on. When he was utterly helpless, the king ordered them to take him to the fire, still breathing, and to fry him in a pan. The smoke from the pan spread widely, but the brothers and their mother encouraged one another to die nobly, saying, The Lord God is watching over us, and in truth has compassion on us. As Moses declared in his song, that bore witness against the people to their faces when he said, and he will have compassion on his servants. After the first brother had died in this way, they brought forward the second from their sport. They tore off the skin of his head with the hair and asked him, will you eat rather than have your body punished limb by limb? He replied in the language of his ancestors, and said to them, No. Therefore he in turn underwent tortures, as the first brother had done. And when he was at his last breath, he said, Ye accursed wretch, you dismiss us from this present life. But the King of the universe will raise us up to an everlasting renewal of life, because we have died for his laws. You see that? All right, so this individual believed in a resurrection from the dead, and, and then ten. After him, the third was the victim of their sport. When it was demanded, he quickly put out his tongue and courageously stretched forth his hands and said, Nobly, I got these from heaven, and because of his laws, I disdain them, and from him I hope to get them back. As a result, the king himself and those with him were astonished at the young man's spirit, for regarded his suffering as nothing. So we see in the statements here of these men that were being tortured under, Maccab under the, uh, Antiochus the king, we see their statements Then they believed in a resurrection of the body, and they believed that their body parts that were being severed from them or tortured would be restored back to them. So. In the Jewish mind, that's just one example. In the Jewish mind, they believed in the resurrection of the body when the body would be renewed. And that's just uh, an example of that, okay? So that gives you just a little bit of background on 
uh, who believed what in that culture. Now, if we look in the Word of the Lord in Psalm 118, we see a very interesting psalm, and I'm sure you're there now, but look at verse 22. And while you're looking at that, I'm going to Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to read to you what Jesus said. Now, Jesus said this right here in the 8th chapter of Mark. Um, verse 31, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Do you see that? So Jesus prophesied His suffering, His death, and then His resurrection. Now, Peter begins to rebuke Jesus about this. You with me here? Verse 32, He spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Right? So what we have here is that Jesus is telling them, that he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and he's going to rise again the third day. Now, this is absolutely going against the theology of that day because they do not believe that Messiah is going to suffer and to die. They believe in a conquering, powerful Messiah that will come and overthrow the Roman government off of them or the Gentile powers off of them. Now, are you with me? Now, keep that in mind. Because I've already read to you a little history. There is conflict between the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay? Especially during that Maccabean time frame when Antiochus Epiphanes was persecuting the Jews. So heavy animosity between the Jews and the Gentiles throughout their history. Now, so when the Messiah comes, as I taught you last week, they believe in a coming, conquering Messiah. And I gave you extra-biblical writings that showed their mindset that they believed the Messiah would come, they would overthrow the Gentile powers off of them, the Gentile powers would be scattered, He would establish righteousness, and then the Gentiles would return back to Him and, and honor Him and glorify Him. That was extra-biblical writings. So when we see that Jesus declares His suffering, His death, and His resurrection, this again is going against the theology or the thinking of that day that he would be a suffering Messiah. So Peter rebukes him because that's contrary to the theology of the day. Messiah can't suffer. Messiah can't die. This can't happen. And so the Bible is very clear that Peter began to rebuke him. Now, if you're trying to make the story up, you don't talk about the leaders like the Bible talked about the leaders. And I mean Peter. You wouldn't, you wouldn't expose or uncover the leader of the church rebuking the Lord on this matter if this was a made-up story. But the Bible is very clear. Even it shows its leaders at times were in unbelief about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the Bible says that Peter began to rebuke Jesus and then Jesus in turn rebukes Peter and tells him, Get thee behind me, Satan. Amen? Because what's coming out of your mouth, Peter, is not from God. It's, it's coming from Satan himself. Amen? So we have this exchange here that even a disciple of Jesus 
believed that it was going against the theology of that day and rebuked Jesus when he said that this was going to happen to him. But it was coming from Satan, okay? And Jesus recognized that. So when we look in the Bible, Jesus predicted his death, burial, and resurrection. He told his disciples that when he stood before the religious leaders in his examination, and we call it a trial, but really it was more of an examination. They couldn't put a trial on. That was the Romans' uh, authority to do that. But when they did the examination, the religious leaders did the examination of Jesus, he also told them that he would suffer, die, but he would rise again the third day. Okay, now, all right, keep your place in Psalm 118. Let's go over and I'll show that to you in Matthew in the 26th chapter. Jesus speaks here in the 26th chapter of Matthew of his exaltation. Now, obviously a lot of accusers have come. They've hired accusers to come and accuse Jesus, but none of them agree. And we see in verse 63 of Matthew 26, But Jesus held this peace. The high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto them, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. So Jesus is talking about, he is going to be exalted. You see that. Okay, now let's go over to Psalm 118. And uh, Jesus' testimony to his own disciples of his death, burial, and resurrection, his suffering. And as you read the text and you see his examination before the elders, he did the same thing. He told them that he would rise again from the dead. He would be exalted to sit on the right hand of God. And they saw that as all just blasphemy coming out of his lips, okay? Now, in the Old Testament, here's what the prophets say. So, Peter was wrong in his theology. When he rebuked Jesus, when Jesus said he would suffer, die, and then rise again the third day, when Peter rebuked him about that, he was wrong, even in his, in his understanding of the Bible. Okay, Psalm 118, very quickly. Let me give you the scriptures. In Psalm 118, what you have here is a picture of a king. And this king, we don't have time to read all the verses, but this king is coming, okay? He has won a great battle over his enemies. And he's coming with his entourage. And when he gets with, there to, the, uh, to Jerusalem with his entourage of people, as he's entering in, he's going to enter into the temple. Okay? Now you would expect a reception of this king that has won a great battle over his enemies. But instead, when he gets there, as the psalm shows us, he is rejected by those as he's entering in. Now we already saw uh, the triumphal entry, so-called, of Jesus Christ, called Palm Sunday. And he does enter into the city, and there is worship, and there is praise that takes place. But we see following that his rejection. So Psalm 118 gives you that picture. It gives you this picture of this king coming. And he's won a great victory and his entourage is with him. He's, he's going to enter into the temple. But then when he gets there, he is rejected by those. This king is rejected. So let's look at it. Now, beginning with verse 22 of Psalm 118. 
It says, the stone which, was, which the builders rejected is become the headstone of the corner. So when this king comes and he's going to enter into the temple and present himself, after this great victory, the Bible says what's going to happen is he's going to be rejected. But notice what the scripture says in verse 22. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. So the Bible tells us here uh, that when Jesus comes and presents himself uh, as the conquering victorious king, you with me here? He is going to be rejected. But after his rejection as the cornerstone, notice what it says. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. So this rejected stone is going to become the headstone. And the only way that can possibly take place is if that rejected stone at Jesus, when he's crucified, how can he become the headstone if he's the rejected stone? The only way that possibly can happen is if Jesus is resurrected from the dead and exalted. Do you see that? Okay, let's keep reading. In verse 23 it says, This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now we've all heard that, you know. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And sometimes we quote that and we apply that to our daily life. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. But that's not talking about every day. It's talking about a specific day. It's this day that we celebrate His resurrection from the dead. So we say this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. It's talking about a resurrection, His resurrection from the dead. That king that came into Jerusalem was fixing to enter into the temple. He is rejected, but he becomes the head of the corner. And the Bible's telling us we are going to rejoice in that. It's speaking of His resurrection and His exaltation after His time of suffering. Amen? So when you say, this is the day that the Lord has made, we will rejoice and be glad in it. You need to understand He's talking about a specific day. And that day that we rejoice in or glad in is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. All right, let's go to Psalm 110. We'll see another prophecy. In Psalm 110, we see a prophecy concerning the Lord. And uh, this has to do with His exaltation. Now, these, these scriptures are quoted in the New Testament in reference to the resurrection and ascension and exaltation of Jesus Christ. Okay? All right, Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Do you see that? The Lord, Yahweh, said unto my Lord, Adonai, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. So what do we have here? We have a promise that the Lord is going to be raised from the dead and exalted. He's going to sit on the right hand of God. Do you understand that? Now, when we talk about sitting on the right hand of God, we're not talking about two thrones. We don't have the throne of God and then on the right hand of God, another throne that's set up. It's not talking about two thrones. Nor is it talking about two powers in heaven. 
that the Father, the Lord, the first Lord has power and authority and next to Him is another Lord that has power and authority. We're not talking about two thrones and we're not talking about two powers in heaven. We're talking about the same Jesus. Jesus is the Lord, David's Lord. Are you with me? That when Jesus would come, He would be David's Lord, but also the seed of David at the same time. Do you understand? So what we have here is the Lord, Jesus Christ. There's only one God. Amen. You understand that? There's, when you talk about the Lord said to my Lord, we're not talking about two separate lords here. We're talking about heroes where the Lord our God is one Lord. It's impossible to have two lords. So it's not two lords, two thrones, or two powers in heaven. There's only one Lord, and it's, show, it's showing us Jesus in different perspective or different views. He is God, Yahweh, but He's also Adonai as far as His flesh is concerned. So this one God, Jesus, God come in the flesh, is going to be on the right hand of God. Not literally what that means. He's going to rule and reign with power and authority in heaven as God. God ruling and reigning through Him. Do you understand that? Okay. Alright, so then there has to be, if Jesus is going to suffer and die, there has to be a resurrection in order for that to take place. Alright, let's go over to Psalm. We're still in the Psalms. And in Psalm 16. Go there please. Okay, we have a promise is also quoted in the book of Acts. Alright, you with me? So we looked at Psalm 118, we looked at Psalm 110. Now we're looking at Psalm 16, verse 10. Also quoted in the book of Acts. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. You see that? This is a prophecy about Jesus Christ. He is telling us prophetically that he will not be abandoned by God. Ooh, do you see that? What is showing you is God's protection upon him. Even, you with me? Let me say it again so you understand. That God is going to protect his life. Even through death, he will protect his life. He's going to raise him from the dead. So he will die, but God will protect him and raise him from the dead. Now, you with me? So that he can sit on what? The right hand of God. That means exercise rule and authority and power in heaven as God in the flesh. You with me here? Okay, so there has to be a resurrection. So the Lord says, he's, you're not going to abandon my soul in hell. Now notice. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. This is quoted in the book of Acts concerning the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Okay? So it's a prophecy that promises God's protection over the human Jesus or the sonship of Jesus Christ. That he will be protected in his life, even through death, and be raised from the dead. That God will not abandon him, nor will his body see corruption. He's going to die, but his body is not going to decay. Because, the, because God is going to protect his king. Amen. From that corruption. And God is not going to abandon him so that he can 
if you will, understand, be exalted. Does that make sense? Be exalted and rule and reign on the, on, uh, in heaven uh, as God. Now, so you'll understand that he's going to sit on the right hand of God in, in only a symbolic figure. It's exaltation of Jesus ruling and reigning. In Israel, if you were to go to Israel and you were to face the temple and look at the Holy of Holies where the Shekinah glory of God was, okay, facing it, on the right hand, literally on the right hand of God would be the king's home. So that the kings were looked at as on the right hand of God. That the kings were exercising power and authority on behalf of God. So their homes were literally on the right hand of God geographically in Israel. Do you understand what I just said? I'm going to say it again so you'll understand. Okay, the kings were looked at as the sons of God. And when they sat on their thrones, Chronicles is very clear that the throne that the king of Israel sat on was known as the, king, uh, the, the throne of God or the throne of the Father. Amen. Do you understand that? So when the Bible talks about that Jesus is going to sit on the right hand of God, it was geographically displayed to Israel always. Because when they looked at the temple and they saw the glory of God, to the right hand of the glory of God was the house of the king. Does that make sense? And so Jesus Christ, if He's going to suffer, then and, and then be exalted and rule and reign forever, that means that He must come out of the grave. He cannot stay in the grave if that's the case. Do you understand? If you do, say praise the Lord. Alright, let's go over to Daniel chapter 7. And I'm moving very quickly because I have to. I've got a lot of Scripture to cover. In Daniel the 7th chapter, Jesus made reference to this uh, when He said that to the leaders that they would see Him sitting on the right hand of power. Matthew 26. In 7 and 13, He said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. So do we see this? I know I'm moving fast, but I have to. I don't have time. Okay, to really just, just focus on one thing. What we see is the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Only God rides on the clouds. Men don't ride on clouds. But we see Jesus, the Son of Man, riding on the clouds, which means this, that this man that you see riding on the clouds must be God at the same time. You with me? Okay, so God infused in humanity in Daniel chapter 7 is seen riding on the clouds or coming in the clouds. Now what happens? The Bible says, I'll read it again, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancients of days and brought him near before him. Again, this is not two separate persons. This is the same one, but it's showing his different roles, okay? Verse 14, there was given him what? dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and language should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Do you see that? And this is what made the high priest so mad. Now go back over there so you'll, you'll know I'm in the Scripture here. In Matthew 26. Amen? Now, they're getting ready to kill him. They're getting ready to murder him. They're getting ready to crucify him. The leaders are. And Jesus makes this statement, okay? When they ask him, Are you the Christ, the Son of God? 
Verse 64, Matthew 26, Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless I say unto you, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. So the high priest understood that when Jesus said that he was going to come in the right hand of power, that Jesus was talking about Daniel chapter 7. This one, this Messiah that would come would be not just a man, but he would be God. He'd be infused with deity and his humanity, and he would rule and reign and have dominion and authority. To the Jews, this one has to be God. To ride on the clouds and to have that kind of authority, he must be God. And Jesus is claiming to be that one that is God infused with, with deity. Amen. Alright, I don't know if you're getting it or not, but I'm doing my best to, to bring clarity. Now, why am I saying all this? Because number one, the resurrection of Jesus, it teaches us that we will live also forever and ever and ever. Amen? Because He lives, it's the central doctrine of our faith, it is the hope that we have. Amen? And because He's risen from the dead, those that believe in Him will be risen from the dead as well. We will experience eternal life. But number two, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is a vindication of who he claimed he was. What he said, who he claimed he was, and what he did is vindicated or proof that what he said was the truth. Okay, so he is telling them, he says, I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer, uh, suffer, die, be risen from the dead. And the Bible's very clear in the Old Testament about this exaltation of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Now they said he was a blasphemer. But when he is risen from the dead, God's view of him is not that he's a blasphemer, but that what he said was the truth. And that the kingdom of God is going to be set up. The program of the kingdom and the plan of the kingdom is going to operate through Jesus Christ. And that you and I must believe in Him in order to be a part of that kingdom. So the resurrection of the dead tells us that we're going to live forever with Jesus if you believe in Him. Number two, it vindicated who He claimed to be in life. They said He was a blasphemer. God said, no, He's not a blasphemer. He's going to suffer and die, but He's going to be exalted. Do you understand? And number three, God's view of who He is was not a blasphemer, but the kingdom of God is going to be set up in and through Him and that you and I must be connected to Him in order to be a part of that kingdom. Now, do you understand the purpose of the resurrection? Okay, let's go over in the New Testament. Let's look at the Gospels uh, that teach the resurrection from the dead. Okay, in Mark 16... Verses 1 through 8. Now you'll notice something very interesting in Mark's account of the resurrection. There are no resurrection appearances. Okay? All you have in the Gospel of Mark is an empty tomb. No resurrection appearances. And I'll explain that to you in just a moment why that is. Mark is considered to be the first Gospel that was written. Not Matthew. You look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and their sequence or their order in the New Testament, you think Matthew was written first. No. Mark was written first. 
So let's look and see what Mark has to say about the resurrection of Jesus. In the 16th chapter, verse 1, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? When they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in long white garment. We know that to be an angel, because he's dressed in white here in the story. They were what? Affrightened. And he said unto them, Be not affrightened, you seek the... the you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into what? Galilee. There shall you see him. And he said unto you, as he said unto you, and they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher. For they trembled and were amazed, neither said anything to any man, for they were afraid. So in Mark, we have no appearances of Jesus to anybody. All we have is an empty tomb. Okay? The first response of those people, the women who see this empty tomb, is one of fear. Say fear. Okay? And there's a reason that Mark gives us that. Because he's showing you, the question really arises from what's happening here. How will you and I respond to an empty tomb? Will we respond to it the same way the women did when they saw, went in that tomb and saw that it was empty? Will they, will we respond the same way they did? And that means with fear. If we respond in fear and run away, we'll be lost. Okay? Now, later on, what will these women do with what they saw? They will report it. So they're going to change their response from one of fear and running away as they see the empty tomb. They're going to change their response to one of faith. And they're going to report this empty tomb to the disciples. So there is no appearances of Jesus in the text. The point being, there's a reason for that. Mark's focus is this. How will you and I respond to the empty tomb? What is my response going to be? What is your response going to be to the empty tomb? Are we going to be afraid and run away? Are we going to respond in faith and report it and declare it that it was done? But everybody's going to have a response to the empty tomb. Either you're going to fear and run away, or you're going to respond by faith. Okay? So Mark gives it to us like that. No appearances of Jesus. Now go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> when we get to Matthew, we see some things about the resurrection that are not recorded in the Gospel of Mark. We have appearances of Jesus in Matthew 28. Not just an empty tomb but appearances of Jesus. Now, when Matthew gives his account of the resurrection of Jesus, his appearances are in Galilee. I want you to get that. 
he appears to the disciples in Galilee. Now Luke will be different. The appearances, the multiple appearances in the Gospel of Luke will be done in Judea or Jerusalem, the area of Jerusalem. But the appearances of Matthew take place in Galilee. Okay? And there's some things that are added here in the story, so I'll read it to you. In Matthew 28, the Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to draw toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Now, we learn something in the Gospel of Matthew that Mark doesn't give us. And that is that there were guards that were there at the sepulcher. Okay? And when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, obviously, they are no longer needed. They have been placed there to guard the tomb because the leaders of Israel requested it from Pontius Pilate because they remembered that Jesus had said that he would rise again. So the religious leaders go to Pontius Pilate and say, you need to set a guard here because if you don't, the disciples are going to claim that he rose from the dead. They're just going to take his body and steal it. So set a guard, you know, to protect that from happening. Well, Jesus rises from the dead. The guards lose their job. Amen. They were unable to keep him in that grave. So the Bible's telling us something here. that There were guards that were there. Amen? And verse 5, The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. So we have an appear, a, a declaration by this angel that Jesus is risen from the dead. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. Where? In Galilee. They departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them. We have an appearance of Jesus. So not only did they see the empty tomb that Mark showed us, but now we have an appearance of Jesus to the women. You with me? As they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hell, and they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. When they grab his feet, again, this is saying resurrected body. This is not a spirit they're seeing, this is not just a soul, disembodied soul. That is that there is appearing to them. This is a bodily resurrection from the dead. They grab a hold of his what? His feet. Okay. Amen. So the Bible tells us. Look at it very, very carefully. Again, verse eleven. Now, when they were going, behold, some of them which came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and taking counsel, they gave large money unto who? The soldiers. Saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. 
So they took the money and did as they were taught, and this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Amen. Now, obviously it's a complete contradiction, you know. But, and it's not true. But the Bible's very clear that we have guards that were guarding. They were not successful in their guarding. If the disciples did come and steal his body away, they were not successful in the guarding. Correct? Okay, let's keep reading. 16th verse. The eleven disciples went away into Galilee. Where? Into Galilee. Into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. What are you going to do with the resurrection? Go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So we now have multiple appearances of Jesus in Galilee to the women and to his disciples, and as a result of this resurrection from the dead, their response is to be one of declaring the gospel that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. So the response to the resurrection from the dead for you and I, number one, is faith, not fear. Number two, it is evangelism. If I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, my response to that truth is that I will go out and make disciples. I will seek to evangelize the world because I believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. So again, what is my response to the resurrection of the dead? Is it fear and running away? Or is it faith and declaring? It's faith and, and declaring that. And winning souls, making disciples, evangelizing the world. If I'm not doing that, I am saying I have a false response to the resurrection of Jesus. If you and I really believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, we will be testifying. We will make disciples. We will be preaching the gospel to the lost. If I don't believe that Jesus is alive today, I will not respond that way. Now, I don't want you to lift your hands, but how many people in this church today have a proper response to the resurrection of Jesus? They are soul winners. Are you a soul winner this morning? When's the last time you ever declared the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world? When's the last time you ever tried to evangelize the world? If you believe that Jesus is alive, that He's exalted today, and if I believe that, I have a responsibility to evangelize the world and to make disciples of other people and declare to them this great truth. So if I'm not evangelizing the world, if you're not evangelizing the world, then you are not responding to the resurrection of Jesus the way you should. Amen? All right, the Gospel of Luke. Let's see it the way Luke records it. And uh, Luke's record of the resurrection deals with his appearances not in Galilee as Matthew, but in his, his resurrection, his appearances to the disciples. Again, many appearances in Luke to his disciples while they're in Jerusalem, okay? And the Gospel of Luke is focusing upon the fulfillment of Scripture and his appearances to them uh, in Jerusalem. Let's go over to the Gospel of Luke. And in this account, we do have many appearances of Jesus. 
All right, Luke chapter 24. This is a very lengthy reading. I won't read it all to you. But again, this is the appearance of Jesus in Jerusalem. And we see, again, an empty tomb. Verse 1, 24, 1. Now, upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. They found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. They entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. It came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. Saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. Who was it? It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the Mary, and Mary the mother of James, and other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. All right? You see that? So their fear turned into faith. They're reporting it to their disciples, but it's women that are doing that. Do you understand? Okay? Say, women are doing it. Now, they're reporting it to the men we see here, but what is the response of the men to that preaching? What is the response of the apostles? Their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Okay? So we see the women declaring by faith that, that, that Jesus is risen from the dead, and as they're testifying of this reality, the disciples say, you're making this up. This is not true. You're not telling the truth. You're, you're making it up. It's just your imagination. You must be tired. You've gone through a lot of stress. You went through the stress of Jesus' crucifixion, everything that happened there. You're stressed out. You're tired. You haven't got much rest. And you're just, you're just imagining things. Basically, what they're saying is you just have positive mental thinking. You're just, you're, just, you're just trying to think positive is all you are. And you must be tired. You must be stressed out. It's an idle tale. You're just making it up. It's just coming out of your imagination, you know. Positive mental attitude. All right, let's keep reading. But the Bible tells us something about Peter. Verse 12, Then arose Peter and ran into the sepulcher, and stooping down, he beheld the linen clothes, laid by themselves, and departed wondering in himself at that which was come to pass. Now, obviously, notice, it's Peter that runs here in the gospel according to Luke. We don't see John in Luke running with Peter. But in John's gospel, the Bible tells us that John ran with Peter and John outran the older guy. Okay, so anyway, just, just pointing out these little things to you from the Word of God. But Luke declares that it's Peter that gets up and runs to the sepulcher, okay? Now, so what do we have? Again, multiple appearances. We have the appearances of Jesus to the late, to the women. We have the appearance, now look, we have Peter, later we find out John, running to the sepulcher and finding out for themselves that the tomb is empty. Do you see that? 
Okay. Now, we continue. We have an appearance of Jesus to two people on the road to Emmaus. Now, again, where is this located? It's around Jerusalem, Judea. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. They came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. See, they've never seen him this way. They've never seen him in a resurrected body before. Amen. He said to them, What manner of communication are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? Of course he does, because he was the one that happened to. Amen. Verse 19, He said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death, and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Beside all this today is the third day since these things were done. Yes, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now notice, again, Luke is focusing on his appearances in Jerusalem and the fulfillment of the Scripture with multiple appearances. So we see, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went into tarry with them. Came to pass? As he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were what? Opened. And they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. So Luke is, is declaring what the Scriptures has said with multiple appearances of Jesus around the Jerusalem area. All right? Amen? So their uh, eyes are opened, their minds are opened, right? And the Scripture says, verse 32, They said one to another, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked with us by the way? And while He opened, there the word is again, they had their eyes opened, and now the Bible says the Scripture was opened to them. They rose up the same hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven gathered together, and them that were with them saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way, and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. So we have multiple appearances of Jesus around the Jerusalem area, and we see the focus in Luke is upon the fulfillment of the Scriptures. Okay? Now, go to verse 44. 
Are you awake? Okay. Let me back up. Verse 36. And as they were, and as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you, that they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed they had seen his spirit. So now he appears to the disciples, right? Okay. Verse 44. He said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. There it is again, the focus upon Scripture, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Then he opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scripture. So we have their eyes being opened. We have the Scriptures being opened. Now we see their mind being opened to understand the Scriptures. Said unto them, Thus it is written, Thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. As a result of that, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Salvation is connected to Him. Repentance and remission of sins or forgiveness of sins is going to be preached in His what? Name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things. Verse 49. Now He gives them a promise. Behold, I send the promise of My Father upon you. But tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. You don't go and preach the gospel. You don't preach the message until you get the Holy Ghost. Till you get filled with the power. You're endued with power from on high. That means you're clothed upon by the Spirit of God. And when you're clothed upon by the Spirit of God, then you will preach this gospel. So he promises them the Holy Ghost. Now, the Scripture says... And he led them as far as to Bethany. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. It came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Do you see that? What did he tell them to do in verse 49? He said, tarry ye in Jerusalem. Now, that doesn't mean that they couldn't go back to Galilee. We had appearances of Jesus in Galilee, in the Gospel of Matthew. But now His appearances of them around Jerusalem, and He's telling them, you wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. The promise of the Holy Ghost. They probably went back to Galilee, gathered some possessions, because the Bible's not forbidding them to do that. What it's saying is, you stay in Jerusalem. So they probably went back to Galilee, got some of their possessions, went over to Jerusalem, and they're going to wait for the promise of the Holy Ghost. Okay? Do you see that? So Jesus tells them, Tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He led them out as far as Bethany, lifted his hands and blessed them. It came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen? Alright, go to the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, we see, again, many appearances of Jesus. And I don't have time to go over all the verses for you, but first of all, in the 20th chapter, uh, the Scripture says once again that Mary Magdalene came to the sepulcher early uh, and the Bible says when it was yet dark in the sepulcher and see the stone taken away from the sepulcher. 
Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord of the out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Now verse 3, Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the, the sepulchre. So now we see where Peter also was joined by John in going to the sepulchre. Amen? So we have John's record of what happened. Now, the scripture says in verse 4, So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. So we have Peter and John going to the sepulchre and finding an empty tomb, seeing the grave clothes that are there. Now, verse 11. We have the appearance of Jesus to Mary. But Mary stood without the sepulchre weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had laid. It's basically the Holy of Holies. You have those two cherubim uh, in the Holy of Holies looking down, the mercy seat. That's what you have here. You have a Holy of Holies. We have one on either side. So they see these two angels uh, there in the sepulcher. And the scripture says, um, See the two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet, verse 12, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. She thought it was the gardener. So what John has given us is a record that it's Peter and John that run to the sepulcher. We have an appearance of Jesus to Mary here, and she doesn't recognize him. She supposes him to be the gardener. Uh, verse 15 tells us that. Verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Okay? Now, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. So what we have then is, is John's record of Peter and himself going to the sepulcher. We have an appearance of Jesus to Mary here, who supposed him to be a gardener. And then we have a record of Jesus appearing to the group. Now, chapter 21, let's go over there. We have another appearance of Jesus appearing to the group. Verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. On this wise showed him, showed he himself. Okay, y'all remember? There were together Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Canaan, and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of the disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I go a fishing. Remember the story. Okay, so the disciples are seen here, they're fishing. The scripture tells that Jesus appears to or the group here while they are fishing. And at that time, he declares in, in, by his prophecy that Peter would die the death of martyrdom. 
and he tells that John, he tells a prophecy to John that he's going to live out his days. He's going to have long life. He will not experience martyrdom. All the rest of the disciples were martyred except for John. And so Jesus gives us that prophecy here. Okay, so basically what am I doing? I'm showing you by Mark, I'm showing you by Matthew, I'm showing you by Luke, and I'm showing you by John. The various uh, events that took place. Mark, an empty sepulcher only. Responding to that by fear. Running away. Okay? What am I going to do with that response? We see Matthew, multiple appearances in the Galilee area. And we see in Matthew uh, that there is going to be a people that will go and evangelize the world as a, as a result of the resurrection of Jesus. In Luke we see Jesus' appearances to various people in the area of Jerusalem, the focus being upon Scripture. In John we see John's record of himself going with Peter the sepulcher, the appearing of Jesus to Mary, the appearing of Jesus to the group of disciples, uh, and his prophecies concerning Peter and John. Okay. When you take all of these records of the resurrection of Jesus, it is simply declaring to you that he has been vindicated by God. He's risen from the dead. He is not a blasphemer. And because he's risen from the dead, it's going to change your life. It's going to change my life. That I can experience eternal life with Jesus because he is alive. And everything that he claimed to be and everything that he said and everything that he did was vindicated, was proven when he was risen from the dead. And now he is exalted to sit on the right hand of God. And God's purpose and plan for the kingdom is going to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And the only way that you and I can be saved is through him. Amen. Give the Lord praise. So just as the Jews believed in the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, that is the reality uh, that we have. Amen. So that's all I've got to preach to you this morning. I hope you're blessed by the reality of the truth of Jesus Christ uh, in your life. Amen. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now. We thank you today that you are the living Lord, King of kings and Lord of lords. And that because you live, Jesus, the very reason for our being here today is established. We thank you today, Jesus, that you are alive. We thank you for all that you've done for us. And we recognize that and celebrate that today in Jesus' name. Amen. And while you're standing, I'm just going to tell you a few things and I'm going to let you go. The fact that Jesus, number one, they took him after he was crucified and immediately buried him in the sepulcher so that they would avoid ritual uncleanness is significant. They took him down immediately. They put him in a sepulcher that was not a family tomb. And the reason why he was not allowed to be placed in a family tomb is because he was executed as a criminal. And the Jewish belief is you do not put executed criminals in the family tomb. So, according to that law, they took him off the cross, immediately buried him in a family tomb, sealed it up. Are you with me here? He rose again the third day. Now, I want you to think about that. 
in the Jewish mind, they believed in the resurrection of the dead. I've already talked, I've already read some historical background for you concerning the Maccabees. They believed in the resurrection of the dead, but they believed it would take place at the end of history. But here we have one who claimed to be the Son of God and contrary to the belief of that day, suffered, dead, buried, risen from the dead. In the middle of history, not at the end of history, but in the middle of history. And we have women testifying to the fact that he rose again from the dead. If you are going to make up a story like that, you have some things that are very significant. That Jesus rose in the midst of history, not the end of history. You have women testifying to that fact. You have the record of where even Peter rebuked him. You have the record of, his, of the response of his disciples to him. At the first, they didn't believe. You have the record of, of fear being associated with what they saw. If you were making up a story like this, you would not have had women testifying because women are not recognized as true witnesses in that culture. But we have the record that women testified of his resurrection from the dead. We have him rising in the midst of history, not at the end of history like the Jews would have thought. What, what are we saying here? Something is going on. Something very significant has taken place. It is not a story that is made up. Because if it was, it wouldn't have happened like it happened. The resurrection would have taken place in the midst of history. You would not have had women testifying of that reality, nor would you have had Scripture telling you of even the failures of His disciples if you were trying to prove based on the character of the person, the reality of this message we preach. You would not have done it that way. But they took the very facts and they put it in the Scripture. And the very facts, the way they come to us, is a proof that something has happened significantly. Amen. Amen. That uh, this was not a made-up story. Because you do not tell the story like it was told if you're trying to make it up. It happened just like it said it happened. Something significant has taken place. Jesus is risen from the dead. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for your precious blood that was shed for us upon Calvary. We ask God as we go forth from this place today that you would give us life and strength and power and victory over everything, Lord God, that would seek to hinder your gospel. We declare that you're alive today, that you sit upon the right hand of God, that you are God in the flesh, ruling and reigning and having dominion and authority over all things. And we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord Jesus.